Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Today, we present episode 320, Amy Taylor, on sex workers in the time of the coronavirus. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com With the coronavirus being active, please practice social distancing. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Online with me from lovely Los Angeles is Amy Taylor. How are you tonight? I'm well, all things considered. How are you? I am well. Um, I am sitting here, which is good, and I'm not in the hospital. Be grateful for the little things. Yes. Because they are the big things. You are a sex worker. You are probably uh, very affected by the uh, coronavirus, along with many other sex workers out there. Yes, that's true. Business has all but ground to a halt. Not just because of the demand side. There are many of us who have taken an extended vacation. Some are lucky enough that they can. They perhaps have elderly people in their lives. They don't want to risk exposure and transfer, even if they're super young, lucky, and would be asymptomatic. Um, I've seen as as much reduction in supply as I have in demand. Um, that said, there are some who are in real financial dire straits because of the couple weeks at the very least that things will be shut down and... Uh, they know that already. There have been GoFundMes. There have been um, pleas. There have been some very good gentlemen that have been sending money to those who need it. Hopefully, they're not just sending it to who's hot. They're sending it to who actually needs it. It's hard to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's absolutely the flow has just really ground to almost a halt sudden, very quickly. Typically, for the last uh, 2,000 years, sex workers have always been somewhat ignored by the legal system, by politics not recognized as actual contributing human beings. Yes, that's typically true, even though we're sort of an integral part of society and everybody knows it. It's No group is sort of so simultaneously vilified and also sort of pitied, which I find odd. Sex in general makes people uncomfortable. Kink does poly, not you, not me, but the sort of mainstream. And uh, that sort of excites them, but also makes them uncomfortable. So it's not something they like in their face. I'm fine with that. But when they sort of bury us in stigma and shame, it renders us sort of a throwaway person that it's okay to harm. So right now we have a sex workers outreach project. Those are SWAP, we call them. There are chapters in most cities. When they've tried to set up charities for emergency funds, I'm not sure the overarching society cares much about us. The reason they should is it's not a closed system. So we're not sort of existing in an island, right? We deal with uh, your family indirectly. <laughs> you just don't know it. When the sex workers get increasingly broke and desperate, that does spill over into other parts of society, just like it does with every other worker. So even though, like you said, we're not given the same rights or respect as other industries, uh, we're just as much part of the fabric of society. We always have been and we always will be. And therefore, uh, it is important to care what goes on with us. <laughs> because we're your neighbors. <laughs> and I really think that the the legal system and, and politicians need to make some recognition of that and bring you in. I, I lived in Europe for a number of years, and uh, certainly around Amsterdam and the Netherlands, sex work is just like somebody that is a waitress at a restaurant or something like that. Uh, they have regulations. They're health tested on a regular basis. They pay taxes just like uh, everybody else. So they are part of the fabric of society. Here, it is not that same thing. No, and it's all clouded in, forgive me, but bullshit here because it's it's happening, um, but it's clouded in people, shell companies and lies and, you know, life coach and <laughs> whatever you're saying you are, right? It's, but indeed, it is happening. It's just... We're just culturally not as able to face that it's part of our society. Why um, our roots are somehow different than the Netherlands in terms of our attitudes towards sex. You know, the Netherlands is famously liberal toward drugs and sex, and they've just got a different culture, right? They just do. It's an accepting culture. 
Yes. Yeah. My grandma used to live in Bergen on Zee, about an hour north of Amsterdam. So we went there a zillion times before she passed. And it's a great culture. Certainly the Dutch are, uh, they had their history like any country, but they, yeah, they handle sex work and in general, sexual freedoms. I went to one of those live sex shows. It's no big deal there. Here, I had a friend who, who got a dishonorable discharge from the military because they found out he and his wife were into BDSM. Wow. Yeah. It ruined his military career uh, because that was considered uh, back then, it's a while ago, like uh, sort of a mental illness of sorts. I hope that's no longer the case. I'm not sure. I'm not military and don't know. Yeah, it ruined his military career because he and his wife liked kink. So I don't, I don't know why this country wants to harm people so much because of their sexual habits. I, I worry about the fallout right now with a pandemic coming. Will the, will the blame come? Will, you know, in an era of right now we're facing no social distancing. I mean, is the hate going to come for anybody who was close to other bodies? Hopefully not. They won't retroactively get even more awful to us than they already have been. I'm not sure they could be, <laughs> but, uh, Social distancing and sex work are often opposing viewpoints. Yeah, certainly in uh, contact sex work that um, a lot of the dungeons I've been to, they're very good about their hygiene. They're very good about um, active consent. So things are, uh, they have a handle on a lot of that. They did pretty well for decades policing themselves about hygiene and other issues. The wild west of other sex work, there's varying degrees of, safety and it's pretty hard to collect data on how dangerous it was because you're talking about a population that because of criminalization nobody can get any data on because they think by burying it it won't exist which spoiler alert that's never going to happen <laughs> so um yeah i think because of social distancing right now it's that part is ground to the halt you have some on, some enterprising young women already today offering all kinds of virtual alternatives We'll see how popular those become. Maybe they'll become the new normal. What do I know? But maybe not. I have to think human people are still going to want human contact. I have to think so. It's a different audience, I think. Uh, the people that want the human contact versus uh, the more online mentality of a person. Yeah, that's probably true. Expanded market. Yeah, maybe. And, th and then there's people who I uh, did a podcast with a woman who she and her husband, uh, boyfriend at the time, hired a sex worker in Amsterdam. And while they had a good time, she commented on how different it was to be with somebody that was commissioned. And she felt that the woman was sort of doing her job professionally and how different that was than when they swing. And it was a person who was there just for fun. It was her opinion that the latter was better. People can pick and choose, but maybe that's part of the hate is that people don't like commission based <laughs> human contact <laughs> because it doesn't feel as sort of authentically consenting but uh maybe some of us maybe our our kink is being spoiled financially what's wrong with that maybe that's my thing <laughs> yeah it's your kink a couple of weeks ago we had selena minx on who is a professional dom in uh, the city of los angeles and she certainly talked about the uh, the cleanliness issues and and uh dealing with a, a clientele that comes through a uh a private space have you heard from her is She's still operating or? I, I have not checked in because this whole thing came on so fast. Uh, right. But, Everything's but, rapid change every day. Yeah. I mean, I worry about people for whom the BDSM is their need and their desire to be denied. That is as it's the fallout from that, you know, sort of general dissatisfaction with life and unhappiness. I'm, I've met people for whom, you know, let's be honest, having sex is, is a need for, you know, people have different drives. There's some men who they can't think straight and go to work if they don't once in a while get laid. And, you know, other people may not be like that, but it's not for them to judge it as, oh, you should just, just not be like that. Well, okay, fine. Then you should just not be hungry or thirsty. People are different, right? Sexual tension is a real thing. If you had to predict in these trying times, do you think the fear and anxiety will make people hunker down and fuck or less so? Boy, that, that's a tough question because uh, if you're with a partner um, that you like to fuck, um, I think there'll be a lot more of that. If you're with a partner you don't like to fuck, that's really going to be a problem because 
getting out to fuck someone else is not going to be a very good option for a while. So those who are more into monogamy should be happy, right? Because people stay home with their main number one instead of their side piece. Uh, well, yes. And uh, I was telling you earlier that I'm in a poly family and we've decided to, uh, you know, stay apart until this thing gets stabilized. And so that's a very much the same thing. Yeah. My sister and her husband, she told me that yesterday morning they had really great sex, sort of the stress and the fear and the panic. And it's us. We're going to make it through this together, baby. She said the sex was incredible. I found that interesting. Good thing. Think there'll be a baby bump in nine months? Oh, you know, there may be. They call them quarantines in 15 years. Ha, sorry. Terrible joke. Forgive me. Quarantines. I don't, I mean, again, I have no idea where this will show. I have to think that sex workers, which are some of the most rebellious, entrepreneurial people, often shady, I have to think that because they've survived millennia of persecution and disease and that they're going to survive this craziness. I just have no idea how I'd be lying if I said I could had any kind of eyeball on what's even coming next week. Cause I couldn't have seen this one. <laughs> so they survived the plague. So, you know, <laughs> or they didn't. And then there was new ones, I guess. I don't know how it went. <laughs> However it turns around, it, it did turn around. Sex is the primal desire. So if, if we're here, it's going to be the thing, but I don't want to see more stigma and shame, not to poly people, not to kinky people, not to sex work. I worry pandemics make people even more sort of amygdala driven and ew, and that that could hurt my community that I care about these people. Um, I hope that's not where the blame will shift. I, I was pretty young, but in the HIV epidemic in the, was it late eighties? Mm-hmm. Awful. What people were, how they were treating Um, you know, everybody thought it was only gay people who could get it, which was not true. Um, but, uh, I wouldn't like to see that kind of stuff again. When people found out it was uh, also heterosexual people, then, uh, there was a separation of people. Really? I didn't know that. So Tennessee, there's bubbles of conservative values. Can I ask, like, how is it to be kinky and poly in a place that I thought was pretty traditional? But I could be wrong. It's- Let's see. We're in the buckle of the Bible belt. Okay. So you are. I didn't want to assume. Yeah. it's This is a very conservative area. Nashville is a liberal city in a very conservative state. It is liberal? The city of Nashville is. But we're talking about one county. Right. Uh, and I'm right out on the edge of it. <laughs> so. Just going to the grocery store, I can see the influence of uh, conservative religious values and very much different than being in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, we have plenty of conservatives too. What is interesting in sex work is that the clientele are often typically an older white Republican male who does go to church and does like it that his wife stays home. They're wealthy and they're often very lucky. Their wives don't have to work. And they, even living in LA, San Francisco, New York, they are typically, they are not Trotskyite Marxist, you know, liberals. And, and yet they are the target market for our business. They are because it's so hypocritical. Well, they need it kept secret because their lives would be destroyed, but they also sort of like it that it's secret. Uh, they, it adds excitement. It adds something that's just sort of privately theirs that their wife doesn't know about. I find that it reminds me of that show, The Handmaid's Tale, where they had one life that they say they have, and then there's this whole sort of secret thing going on, and they like it that way. So I was wondering, like, the poly community, imagine a lot of members of them present as conservative, right? Or do they not? Uh, they don't. Um, they, they just live their life, and people can think what they want of them. You know, but they don't uh, overtly advertise that uh, they're kinksters. You know, uh, when I go to the mall with my wife and my girlfriend, and if we hold hands, we can draw attention very quickly. Sure. Uh, so we don't. <laughs> That's just easier. I mean, right. There's a time and a place to discuss things, right? Well, you know, and we, we go out to dinner, we go to a movie, something like that, but we have to be careful of the public display of affection. Really? Yep. Well, and it's not directly criminalized, but sort of, I find sex work, even where it's decriminalized or legalized, that does not erase the stigma. So it's better, like in Australia or Canada, 
Europe, most of Europe, but it's still not. And it reminds me of the kinkster world where you don't have to worry about going to prison, but you're still sort of in that quasi like, but don't you think, I don't, it, it surprises me because that is because everybody's a liar. Like you don't even know that you're really the minority because nobody tells the truth about their sexual peccadillos, right? I mean, I think extreme kink is probably still the minority, but who knows? Cause nobody's even telling the truth. <laughs> well, in, yeah. In that case, it's 50 shades of kink, you know, and you, you can say, okay, if you've ever been uh, tied up with a scarf or blindfolded, you're a kinkster. If that's the case, then what is the percentage of the population of the U.S. that is that? And it's fairly large. Yeah, right. It's, I suppose it's sort of a semantics issue, right? Mm-hmm. So I think uh, in these crazy times with people having to stay home, I wonder, like, so stress, it's already mounting on people. I wonder if getting out of their heads with, like, kink would be some sort of therapeutic thing. Because I've been to dungeons on both ends. I'm a switch. And sometimes I have really, in addition to enjoying the activities, I've enjoyed the aspect, you know, subspace and all that. I've enjoyed the aspect of getting out of my own head. That's been a real draw, as I think it is for many. I suppose we'll never know, but what people get into to manage their mounting stress in these next couple of weeks. Well, yes. And are you talking about the uh, the vanillas managing it, or are you talking about yeah. kinksters managing it? Perhaps both. But I'd wonder if people will be sitting home and are online more and more and they start to wonder if that would be an outlet or would help them and it would actually attract more vanillas or not. I mean, my world has ground to a halt. I imagine it'll ramp back up again. But the dungeons have, well, I guess it's still social distancing but because they have such good hygiene. I imagine they're still open, right? At least today. As of today, they are, uh, and hard to tell. Uh, many yeah. events, uh, kinky events, have been canceled. They have. Oh, yes. Uh, I was scheduled for a, a big one coming up here uh, in another month. When you have um, essentially a convention of kinksters in one place, playing in dungeons and uh, connecting bodies to bodies and all that sort of stuff, that becomes the potential hotbed of a problem. Of course. Do you think people can just stay away from it for weeks or months? Or or will their need to have fun eventually outweigh their fear? That's a, an interesting question because it's going to be based on the reality factor. Uh, we had a person in the kinky community locally here that uh, was on Facebook uh, just tonight saying that uh, she was exposed and she's coming down with the symptoms right now. Has she tested positive? Uh, she's being tested tomorrow. Okay. And and so at that point, it starts to become real. For sure. And so you can say, now, if we're um, locked up for another 30 days, will we go start craving mad? Maybe. Maybe. Are we going to take a chance that we might not take today? Maybe. I hate to say it's interesting and I sort of, it's gallows humor. I, I don't mean to make light of it at all. But I suppose if I don't laugh, I'll cry. So, so this is, these are the jokes, folks. <laughs> Welcome to the new reality. Well, when I started in sex work, I was so far in debt, had the rug yanked out from under me financially. And like most, when you first start in sex work, it's something that you can do and you can tolerate because you sort of like it, but it is about money, which is why there's so many young people doing it. And it was for me too. The alternative was literally not being able to buy food or pay rent. It was literally homelessness. Um, so when people say, how could you meet a stranger and make that kind of a crazy decision? Well, look at what alternative I was looking at at the time, right? I mean, the table shift as you do one of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's <laughs> you, you don't make the same decisions when you're starving or as you said, going stark raving mad, hopefully this won't happen. But I have to think that it can't just be suppression of people's natural desires to connect, whether they be in groups or one-on-one. -on -one. I think you could go a couple weeks or I don't know what the timeline is and how people, like you said, will eventually go, fuck this. When it does break down, there's going to be a couple interesting things right now. I was informed today, uh, a friend of mine who is a waitress in a uh, restaurant found out that one of the other waitresses in the same restaurant did test positive. And now 
it is a shitstorm. So they're uh, having to close down the restaurant, clean it up. All the people are out of work. And the the reason that, that they waited so long on this, she couldn't afford to not have a job. And so she went to work sick. This is the reality for a lot of people. And I don't think she's evil for that, even though it's terrible to be a spreader, especially if you know, but even if you suspect. You see that in my business where there are people who don't get tested because they don't want to know, because if you know, then your conscience answers if you pass things. That's the reality of people, yay, late-stage capitalism. (laughs) It is, because we have no fallback net to catch us if we have a stumble, either in health or, or financially or whatever it is. There is no backup system. Do you think anybody does it better? Any country or... Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about the Netherlands earlier. Uh, they have a, um, call it a welfare system. I, I don't think that's a good choice of words, but they have a system. If you cannot work, you still get medical coverage. You still have a monthly income. We don't have that here. We have this sort of cowboy thing in America where we like our individualism and our freedom, and that can be a very good thing. But with that sort of I'm on my own mentality, Maybe as the America, America is no longer the Wild West and we're not all cowboys and maybe we should acknowledge that we do need each other and we do need to implement things like this. I'm not a huge fan of like government control because obviously look what look how I've lived. But it seems to even in my business work better. I mean, look, it's safer when it's and, you know, I'm going to get a rash of shit for saying that that where it's legalized and decriminalized, it's safer because there's a lot of women and men in my business who want the total freedom. You have street based sex workers who they know exactly how dangerous it is to be out there on the corner at night, but they don't want to be controlled. They're just little wild women and men and but mostly women. And they just they know that it's really dangerous. But they don't want to be in a brothel. They don't want to work for an agency. They're just little naughty. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. People have different needs. And I would like sort of the brothel model in Australia, the psychological outcomes are far better. The women are safer. They have bodyguards, they have systems. And there's sort of like a bit of a sorority where they are not alone. So the psychological outcomes are healthier. The data is very clear on this, but they give up a lot of control and some money. But it's safer. Well, would you enjoy it if the government gave you a safety net, but then somebody in power decided that the way you like to live was now criminalized. I'm not saying they would, but I like the freedom and I want the safety net. And I don't know if that's asking too much of my world. (laughs) I hear what you say, but in this country, in the state of Nevada, they have brothels Mm -hmm. that are regulated by the health department that are taxed. And they have the sorority that you talked about. They have uh, a safety net around them. If uh, a guy comes in to beat up a girl they have bouncers to drag them out of there. And so from a safety point point of view, and we've had uh, one of those girls on the show back oh, five years ago, and she talked about what it was like to be in one of those organizations, and it did work. And she yes. felt comfortable with it. There's no question it functions better. That said, there are still people who would work outside that system. Now, just because something doesn't fix something 100% doesn't mean you don't do it, Right. It's a stupid thing to say that if you implemented that, there would still be street-based work, so let's just not do it. That's that's dumb. You do what you can. If anything good comes from this pandemic, maybe it will be that we could have considerations about a safety net for one another. I mean, we have 74,000 hospital beds in California. You know how many people we have? A lot more. <laughs> just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> that is terrifying. People smarter than me haven't found a brilliant solution, but the the healthcare system in a graying country, you know, I'm 43 and I don't have children and I start to think about who's going to take care of me and what's going to, you know, these are the things you start to think about and you get a little bit older. Probably should have been thinking about that earlier, but I think if anything, anything good comes out of this, it would might be a little bit more connection and kindness and it makes me laugh that we're going through this this week and that last week we were like shitting on swingers and worrying about high-end escorts. <laughs> it makes you realize what really doesn't matter. Yeah, It gives you perspective. 
in, in a very nasty way. And the thing about getting older, and I, I've um, got uh, quite a bit of time older than you, I have found that the poly lifestyle serves well because we have other people in our similar age groups and we take care of each other. Really? Yes. And it becomes, uh, you know, we've turned into the hippie that we were back a long time ago and we went to communal living again. And so it comes back around. And is it nice to be less lonely? Okay, not today, but... Hopefully soon again. Well, it's wonderful, and when uh, when everybody gets a- along with each other and everybody helps contribute, uh, then it's a-, a great thing. And then if somebody gets sick, there's more people to take care of them. If if people are working, you know, there's just a whole thing. And a lot of societies have more of a uh, village based mentality than we do. Absolutely, whether that's multi generational or just community and friends. And I know I live in a condo building. Many of the people here are quite old. And I texted and said, hey, if you need anything, I got nothing but time and I'm home too. And I should have been doing that anyway, right? And in my community, we sex workers, oh, we're such a bunch of bitches sometimes fighting with each other about nothing. And we should be asking each other if we're okay. You know, you just went broke and you're scared. And our work is really solitary often. Even when the economics are good, there's a lot of really lonely women. You, you can't tell people what you do, so you're doing a lot of lying, which creates barriers, right? You have stigma and shame and all this other stuff. And yeah, I, I wish we had more community in our business. And I guess if we're all going to grind to a halt, maybe that would be a sort of weird side effect of it that but I don't know if we will or not. I don't know if we could take a lesson from you guys are so far ahead of us on like affirmative consent. And you're, there's, you have so much to teach. You have so much to teach to the whole world about consent and openness and, you know, n- lack of sexual jealousy. And we are by, by anybody left who's still dumb enough to denigrate kinksters is missing out on a wealth of wisdom that can be shared. Whoever said humans were smart, they're not. But if they would be. Kingsters have their issues too. You know, we we have community and we bicker and we fight like bad family and everything else. And in the poly families, we say there's no jealousy, but sometimes there is. Really? Well, it's actually uh, time envy. You know, well, you're spending more time with this person than you are with me. It's not necessarily jealousy. But it it becomes an imbalance. And making sure everybody's needs get taken care of is the bigger problem in poly communities. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, people, I mean, we're hierarchical creatures sometimes. We want to know where we stand. And yeah, in my business, when, when the physical stuff is a given, often, not necessarily. You can't force or coerce. That's illegal and shouldn't happen. But when it's more of a given, sometimes there'll be sort of uh, negotiations or unspoken push and pull over other things like time or texts or off the clock attention. I guess people just want to feel special seen. Doesn't everybody? That's 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 all any of us probably have ever wanted is just to be seen. That's a human thing, right, to need. In this very weird next few weeks, I'm interested to see how people will see and acknowledge each other when we're being forced apart by necessity. I get it, but I I suppose we'll find other ways. This becomes a social experiment at some point. That is a creepy dystopian term, and you are totally correct. I I worry very much about issues of, I mean, you said bandwidth, and, and I mean... I don't know. I'm just going to just gonna <laughs> It was really fun to meet you if the world ends. <laughs> We're all eating possum over trash can fires. <laughs> I want to say a few things. Uh the brand uh, amytaylor.com uh is remarkable and you've done a great thing to put yourself out into um the internet public so that people know who you are and what you do is remarkable and and you're such a proponent for sex workers uh, all over the country, all over the world, this is important that people really do start to need to listen 
uh, because it is the oldest profession. I'm not saying I'm an A plus person or any of us are, but I'm a human being. And I, I know when we are in the closet and we're buried and nobody thinks we're real or we're human, that's where they fill the vacuum full of lies and they can really harm us. So I was, I just don't give a fuck anymore. And my story is that I was in the closet for a long time when I first started, like most people are. And then I got outed. There was a guy who ran a website, theeroticreview.com, and he wanted me to have my clients write reviews of my performance. Oh, really? Yeah, lovely. Classy. Um, and uh, I'm a feisty part Italian, so I told him to no. <laughs> and then he got mad. And uh, much like a street corner pimp who wants his girls to get in line and not be renegades, they call it, when you don't want to have a pimp, the online guys who ran these kinds of sites, and there were a few of them, but he was the biggest one, uh, when they can't control your career, so in this way he was having reviews that he would charge to read, so he would indirectly profit off me, right? Not a pimp, but a pimp. When I told him I wouldn't be part of that system, he uh, tried to ruin my life. He outed me to my friends and family. I lost, my family didn't speak to me for two years. I lost most of my friends and I miscarried my unborn son, who would be 12 right now if he was here. Wow. So um, lost my fiance. I was going to be retired and get married. He lives in Seattle. Nice guy, but we couldn't survive what was happening. Uh, my family was terrified. They didn't know. And I had lied, so they didn't know to trust me. So I went and ran to Arizona, lived there for a while, I worked a regular job, just tried to survive, not speaking to my family or friends. Uh, I'm a flight instructor, so uh, I was flying planes in Arizona for a year and a half. And I get a phone call one night from the district attorney in Phoenix and my lawyer's on the phone and they told me to pull over. I said, okay. <laughs> and they said, uh, this gentleman, he's not a gentleman, this man was driving to Phoenix to kill me. And... Uh, so I went to a hotel and hid and the major Phoenix major offenders unit uh, arrested him. They intercepted him and he was there to run a bunch of errands. He was going to kill me, break some guy's legs and buy some guns and drugs. He had a, he had a laundry list of things he needed to get done. <laughs> Ooh, we, you, you're great guy, uh, right? Yeah. You're a little so on the edge. Lucky. I don't know. I don't think they got him because they cared so much about me, but more because he was a giant thug. And so Luckily, they helped me. They were not big fans of what I do, but we met with the police and they were kind. And he went to prison for oh, many years. He's out now, uh, has left me alone. I hope he will continue to do so. Um, and so then anyway, when I got outed and all this happened, and it was in the news, if you Google the erotic review, murder, and you'll read about a woman, that's me. Um, then I just was that nothing sort of nothing left to lose. My family speaks to me now. We don't talk about what I do. They worry about me and but they love me. And so I'm luckier than some, a lot of women in my business lose their families. They disown them completely. I'm, I'm luckier than those. Uh, and then I knew because I had been outed that I could might as well speak out. Right. So I sort of made lemonade. And ever since then, I don't know how it'll end, but I, I, I've been seeing one guy for years and I'm pretty much semi-retired. I'm old, like I said. Um, so I want to leave this industry with, with a tiny piece of humanity if I can do that, then maybe I did something that mattered. Maybe that's the idea. And because of people like you, I get to speak. So thank you. <laughs> uh, this is a, a forum for uh, anybody that has something to say regarding sexuality. One other thing that I wanted to add, uh, we were talking about Amsterdam earlier. There's a whole infrastructure there where they rent spaces to the, the working girls, but there is that underbelly and that is uh, sex trafficking where uh, people from Eastern Europe uh, bring girls in and they put them out on the street, not in in these rental rooms. And they literally work the street corners. And when they're found by the police, they're shut down immediately. And they, they have uh, quite a number of these um, rings that operate. Right. Uh, and that is where the danger comes back in. And so you have the uh, the ones that are uh, following the rules, going through everything they should, and keeping the populace safe as far as diseases and, and that sort of thing. But then you have these other ones where they're completely unregulated and they're a problem. The patrons go for the street ones because they're lower in price or high in beauty and quality or what's both maybe? Or they're willing to come to your hotel or why are they succeeding in getting customers? In Amsterdam, the 
customer base is largely tourist. Right. They don't know the difference. Yeah, and trafficked girls are trained to tell customers that they are not trafficked because they know the customer doesn't want to hear that. Right. In LA, you have a lot of the girls from Eastern Europe, and the problem is that even upscale men, they don't want to patronize a traffic girl, but the fact of the matter is some of the girls are very beautiful. And uh, men are men. They they don't want to participate in something evil, but they want what they want, and uh, the girl is trained not to say. So, like you said, they don't know, and the product product. I'm not talking about a human being, so I don't mean to use that word, but the, the, the service provider is often of pretty high quality. Uh, it, the same thing happens in porn, right? You get overseas labor, it's cheaper and it's better. It's the same, same reason manufacturing went to China. <laughs> I yeah, I suppose. Well, you have this situation and the, um, we talked about the government regulation earlier. They are cracking down on sex trafficking and it is reaching into the sex worker category. And that is, a, that is an overstepping of the government as far as I'm concerned but it is real. Yeah. I think we need to understand the difference between consent, which, you know, even gold diggery consent, maybe you like rich guys that spoil you and that's okay with you. That is not abuse and where it is abuse. And that's a nuanced thing. It's tough, especially because like I just said, traffic girls are very well trained not to say so. There's also sort of psychological abuse. There's young girls with pimps who they think they're in love with this guy and he's really using them, but they love him, and so they don't think they're being abused. They might realize they were 15 years later, but right now they're like, I'm fine. And they're not so fine, but how are you going to tell them they're not? They think they are. Well, they get their drugs delivered to them uh, every day, so, you know, they get what they Right? Need. I mean, these are complex issues. Um, I tend to think if we, if we had more legal rights, you could look at them as labor abuses, just like any other industry, right? I think it's running pretty well, sort of, in Australia, but they say they've got their problems, too. Uh, some of the problem is that you're talking about a high-margin business, a lot of cash, so it's hard to trace. The guys are always going to want to pay cash because they don't want it on the credit card bill, usually. And you're talking about service workers that are often young, often lonely, often not super sophisticated, and uh, therefore maybe easier to to abuse as a manager of some kind. Uh, I've thought about it a lot. There, are, I think the brothel model in Nevada is better. Although my friends who worked for Dennis Hoff before he passed away said he was a giant shitbag too. <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't know him. I, this could be matters of opinion. Work of any kind, most industries have labor abuses. I would like to see them be handled in a court of law, like any legitimized industry. I think it would make it better. I'm not saying it would make it problem free, but I think it would make it better. It's hard to talk about the hypothetical when we haven't done it, but you could see like in weed, that business is better now. It's better. It is, and it's safer. Yes, but we'd have to get over the stigma. Uh, we'd have to view people selling sex as just like selling anything else. And I, I don't know we're anywhere near thinking of it that way. Well, we are all Puritans, you know. Um, I think uh, Plymouth Rock landed on the Puritans. <laughs> Ancient Rome tried to have sort of prostitutes registry and it was a shit show because there's also the aspect that not a lot of sex workers want to be in some sort of a database as a sex worker because they plan on doing it for a little while and then not talking about it as they become wives and mothers and lawyers and because the stigma renders you less employable, less marriageable, all these other stupid things that stigma does that laws won't change. Are you telling me you're not a virgin? Uh, not not a while. <laughs> but right, I mean, you a lot of men when they wife a chick up, they don't really want to hear about her sexual history. Oh, guys are terribly insecure. You know, if it were a contest on how many guys you've laid versus how many women I've laid, uh, and you had more, I would be uh, crushed. My little ego really? can't take. Oh, I'm so fragile. <laughs> I don't give a shit, actually. But uh, there's a lot of guys. How did you, did, were you always sort of open or did you arrive to that? By Like a lot of kinksters, there was something bubbling under the surface for a lot of years. I didn't really come on to my own in as being a kinkster until I was in my mid-40s. And that was a long time ago. Better late than never. Were you, do you think 
it was too hard to realize or, or did you not feel allowed or? Well, here's the thing. I lived in Amsterdam at the time. And, and so it was like permission to be kinky. At that point, uh, broadband was just coming on and all these porn sites were popping off my screen and I was feeling my juices and I found these kink sites and I went, oh my God, that's me. And I, uh, you know, you talked about the big sex shows in Europe. I went to one of them. I ran into a guy who was my first mentor and he guided me into the scene and uh, I haven't looked back. A lot of wrist action education. <laughs> Got to be a good flogger. <laughs> you know, it's learning to flog. And, and this guy was a, uh, he was a leather craftsman. And, uh, and so he knew everybody because everybody's buying from him. And so he introduced me around. I got to know uh, all the differences. And he says, you're, he says, you're not allowed to identify. You can't be a top or a bottom or a switch. You cannot identify until you get out in the scene and figure out what you really are. And that okay. is one of the pieces of advice is that I pass along to our listeners all the time. Do not come in and say, I'm a big bad dom and only work one part of this scene because you may have this incredible need to submit. Yeah. Shortchanging yourself. Yeah, you're with your mood or time too. Like I like both. I was listening to your episode with the kinky cowboy and I thought it was so interesting that like sometimes you can sort of reckon with your own. I thought I was weird when I first discovered I liked kinky things and it didn't help that a partner I had at the time did not have those desires and, and rejected my attempts to sort of engage both of us in those things that, so it took me a while to realize it wasn't sort of the only person out there. The internet has helped that to see that I wasn't alone, but and I, re- I remember doing some self-searching, like wondering what made me this way, and then sort of slowly deciding I don't, I don't think it matters. I am the way I am, and I'm just going to love that about me, right? I remember back when I was eight years old, I was into kind of a bondage thing back then. You know, it's just, it's always been there. Yeah, it's, I think it's just in us. Bondage is, it's, there's, I've met, I don't know how your experience has been, but I've met so many women that when they were sort of tied down and, I don't want to say forced, but made to just relax and accept pleasure. How much they liked that. Uh, I have one that lives upstairs. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. It's, I don't know. And, and I'm not just saying that men don't, but maybe it's forced laziness. You get to just relax and enjoy. <laughs> there is something about submitting your soul to somebody and just giving up all control and trusting somebody to take care of you and allow you to fly. And that's the way I look at it is they want to, they want to go take a trip and go off into subspace. Yeah. And and I, and I am your captain at that point. It's a lot of responsibility to be the provider of experiences. It is. And you have responsibilities from a medical point of view. You have to make sure that they don't have an underlying illness that is going to turn up in the middle of a scene. Uh, so there's responsibilities there. Do you find as you get better at it over the years, easier to handle? I do, but I also find that everybody's version of subspace is some kind of a different weird trip for me. And I, I remember uh, one woman I was playing with, and as soon as she started to head off into subspace, she started crying violently. And I thought I broke her. <laughs> and she's going, don't stop. It was cathartic for her? It was. It, it, and it, it's the waterworks. A lot of women cry after orgasm. That happens. Yeah. Well, it's an emotional trip. I get because, you know, phenotype matters. The way I look, I have typically in my career been asked to be dominant. And that's been a funny experience because it was less my natural tendency. Uh, and I often got hired having, in the beginning, no idea how to be one. <laughs> But somebody just liked the way I looked, dark eyes, pointy eyebrows, all that, and uh, had to do, thank God for reading and YouTube and, you know. Um, Flogging 101. Taking lessons, literally. It's wonderful that those are provided out there. There was one who never hired me again because I was not that good at it. I don't know why. It was way back in the beginning and he flew me uh, to uh, Columbus and wanted to be really 
given a lot of pain and I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. <laughs> you almost gave him a lot of pain, but uh, you know. And, and I drank a couple martinis and I tried and uh, yeah, I was terrible. He didn't call me again. <laughs> but I went to a, a party at a um, professional dom- dominatrix house uh, and they had uh, little stage shows they were presenting and uh, they would ask for one of the guests to come up and volunteer to be flogged. And so we had a ringer with us and uh, we said, come on, get up there. This guy was a Marine and you could beat him with baseball bats and he'd go, when are you going to start? So this, this little uh, pro dom gets up there and she was about five foot tall, little Asian girl, all dressed in leather and cute as can be. And she start, pulled out a single tail and she started uh, just really limp-wristed hitting him. And he goes, you can start any time. And she then kind of gets a grip on it and she's laying into him and he goes, I'm ready when you are. Oh, uh, he's such a brat. <laughs> he was a brat. Uh, of course, he was encouraged by his uh, his mistress. But uh, and And it was so funny because this – was what they delivered on a daily basis to kind of vanilla guys. You know, that kind of performance was about normal. But when, you, when you're when you playing with real kinksters, you got to be careful because they'll, uh, they'll drink you under the table, as it were. That's funny. Yeah, it's, you know, my most kinky, the, the kinkiest people I ever met were often um, ex-military. I don't know that there's a correlation there. I might just be making a pattern that's not real. But um, I wondered if the sort of very ordered and civilized, structured way of living had anything to do with the desire to... Well, okay, since you're hitting on this, I'll give you um, uh, Woody's version of um, perceived reality. (laughs) Okay. You, You have the military mind that splits into two ways, those who give orders and those who take orders. Okay. You have the legal mind, the judge that sits on the bench all day and sends people to jail, wants to submit. They give up all their power during the day, and at night they just want to submit. Lawyers are similar. Doctors and nurses, they are the most sadistic bitches and bastards there are out there. They will lay it out for you. I know I have one. Yeah. That would make it like a lot of CEO types. They don't want to have to make any decisions because right. all day long, it's just decisions. They, they have, they're out of decisions at that point. And they, and they don't want to. Right. They, so they've turned it over to you to basically defuse them. Yeah. Yes. Huh. I never really, that's interesting about the power. So the power exchange thing in the military, those give orders and take orders. And I always thought some of these, guys that have been through war often were, they viewed themselves as protectors and heroes because they had been. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes they were so dominant because they thought of themselves as the protector and the provider of experiences, whatever those might be. There was a lot of need to be the giver. That was often why a young companion was so appealing to them. It was a woman whose finances they could improve. They could help her get an apartment and go to school. And they derived often derived such pleasure by seeing you financially and sexually thrive. Service. Yeah. And a little maybe creepy daddiness in there, but that's not a bad thing. But yeah, they were shining at their best when they felt of service. And it reminded me of their military. I used to see a guy once a month who would, when he would talk about his days in the military, he would get teary eyed at lunch and then, all kinds of things happened after lunch, but, um, but, and that one of the things you saw there, let's take that person that you laid out who is uh, all about service and, and, uh, in control. Absolutely. But then they have to give it up at some point. Oh yeah. And yes. And that's when it can get very interesting. Yeah. Do you think everybody has both sides to them? Uh, people won't admit it, but yes. Yeah. And that, that was one of the things when I was going through my, uh, training in, uh, in Amsterdam, 
they said, if you think you're a dom, you're going to be a sub because you have to learn both sides. He says, you have okay. to, you have to feel what it's going to be to take it before you give it. And so I, I, I went through the whole process and, uh, you know, I, I came out as a dom, but I'm certainly empathetic to what a submissive goes through because I've been through it. Did any of it bring you pleasure or no? Oh, uh, it, it brought me tremendous pleasure, but I, I feel that uh, I also get pleasure from delivering a little sadism. Sure. It makes me smile. You know what I found most interesting about being dominant, which it's done many times, like I said, the way I look, I tended to get more requests for that than the other side, sadly or not. Um, I found it um, mentally a lot. You, it's, uh, I don't want to say tiring, but it's, it's, it's a lot harder than just being the sub. <laughs> it is. Submissiveness is a gift. They're giving you something that's very valuable. And as a top, you have to, to respect that. You have to own that, take care of that, and service that. Because if you don't service that, they're going to go away. Sure. That's a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, a, a, there's so much yin-yang in the world. And we're in a very strange month, strange maybe year, dark times or something. But I was just reading today that... Um, the air has gotten cleaner in most of the world's major cities in two days. Yeah, especially some of the big cities in China where the air pollution has Filthy. just cleaned up amazingly. Amy, it's been a real pleasure talking to you uh, on the cast tonight, and we've certainly wandered over a number of subjects. It's It's been an honor in these crazy times. I think, I think your podcast is brave. I think it's funny. The stories are very sexy and very interesting. And, and I hope you keep putting them out for the public because I really love them. We are in our seventh year and uh, we love doing this. I have a small crew that helps me uh, get the show on every week. We have not missed a week in, uh, in all the time. So we will continue doing it. Even though we had a tornado here a couple uh, weeks ago, we are still online. Thank you. You have been listening to episode 320 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. Join us next week when we present Bubba Bennett, T3WD.